Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hey, it's Max, and it's Monday, which is not a day that we normally do anything on the Longform Podcast, but I have something a little special for you today. It's an episode of a new podcast that Aaron and I have been working on. It's a sort of pop-up, spin-off version of the Longform Podcast that's running just through the summer. It's part of something called By the Books, which is a uh, digital literary festival being put on by our friends at MailChimp. There's all sorts of amazing stuff up at MailChimp.com slash presents, but on this podcast... Every week, Aaron or I is going to be talking to an author about the books that changed them. So we're going to be talking to Shea Serrano, Saeed Jones, Rebecca Traster, Krista Tippett, Wesley Lowry, and... Ashley C. Ford, who's this episode. Uh, Ashley, you might remember, was on the Longform Podcast back in February. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, particularly the first, like, I think it's like six or seven minutes, where Ashley basically sat down, we were just testing the mics, and she started talking about love. And I don't know, if you haven't listened, you should go back and listen to that. But first, listen to this interview about the books that uh, made Ashley... Ashley. And while you're at it, go check out Buy the Books. It's at MailChimp.com slash presents, and it's got all kinds of incredible stuff. So it's got a group of books curated by last week's guest on the Longform Podcast, Aminatou So and Ann Friedman. They've got a group of books recommended reading for you this summer. They've also curated a whole list of conversations between different authors that are really, really incredible. Uh, and then on top of that, Ashley... The guest on this podcast that you're about to listen to has curated a group of essays that are intended to inspire new conversations and spark discoveries about the world around us. They're incredible essays, incredible conversations, incredible books, and this uh, podcast that Aaron and I are working on, The Books That Changed Us. You can subscribe to The Books That Changed Us wherever you are listening to this show, and you can find it all at MailChimp.com slash presents. But for now, here's a conversation with Ashley C. Ford about The Books That Changed Her and we'll be back with the Longform Podcast on Wednesday. Who are you and uh, what do you do? I'm Ashley C. Ford. I'm a writer, podcast host, editor and general person who makes stuff. Ashley, is there a book that you remember maybe from your childhood uh, that inspired you to become a writer or maybe just uh, gave you the first thought that, hey, I could be a writer? 
Yes. First of all, let me say (laughs) that I grew up in a home with very little censorship outside of, you know, like anything that would bring the devil into your house, which apparently (laughs) didn't include nudity. And my mom never stopped me from reading whatever I picked up and was reading. Like she has never told me I couldn't read a book or it was too adult for me. So one of the first books that I read that made me think I could be a writer was uh, Mama by Terry McMillan. (laughs) Tell me about it. Mama is the story of a matriarch, a black matriarch, and her children, her brood of children (laughs) who have their own trials and tribulations while she's having hers. And it dealt with things that I either heard about or saw in my real life. So it dealt with a daughter who is being sexually harassed. It dealt with a mother who didn't know how she was going to pay utilities or make sure that her kids ate. And it was about them all striving for this American dream and trying to stick together at the same time. And the heartbreak of black women and the literal mowing down of black men. Like, it was a fantastic book. And I read it when I was in the fifth grade. Wow. Had you read anything like that before? I hadn't. You know, um, before that, I think the closest thing to Terry McMillan and that level of intense story that I had encountered um, would have been Danielle Steele novels, which I got mm-hmm. from my aunt's house <laughs> and, and read a lot. Um, but, you know, by fifth grade, I was reading Shakespeare and, you know, I was getting into fights. I got into a fight with my fourth grade teacher because we had to do a writer project and I wanted to do Edgar Allan Poe. And they said that that was too adult for the kids. And I was like, if I can read it, how can it be too adult for me? Okay, that's some sort of like literal definition of precocious. I was a very precocious child, which people always act like precocious children or like everybody's like, oh, what a delightful child. No, adults hate precocious children. (laughs) (laughs) They hated me Um, for reasons that I barely understood and they probably barely understood. Can you understand them now? Yeah. I mean, I think I can understand the root of them and that the root of those reactions to a precocious child were not necessarily malicious. They were really fearful reactions. People sort of acted scared of me because I was an observer and I was analytical and I remembered everything. So you couldn't really get anything past me. And... (sighs) People really count on being able to get things past children. (laughs) Does that still happen for you? In what way? Like, do you scare people now? Mm, I think there are people who find me intimidating for a myriad of reasons. I don't think they would make up the majority of people who interact with me, but... There are definitely some who uh, react to me in a way that seems fearful, which is always so strange to me because uh, the thing I actually struggle with 
most is sticking up for myself. Really? Yeah. How does that manifest itself? When I deeply love and care about someone, like I have someone in my life who I feel in any way protective of their feelings or of their experience in the world or, you know, in extreme anxiety written cases, fear for their life, I can become incredibly passive. I did not have the kind of childhood that I wasn't taught to put myself first in any capacity and in fact taught that putting myself first was a selfish act and my reaction to that (laughs) was to um, sort of react differently in my different worlds with people that I cared about with people I loved in my home I was incredibly passive you know until I blew up because I've never been good at pretending but I would try so hard (laughs) to be just like quiet and silent and you know all of those things because I was scared that like if I told people what I saw if I told people how I felt if I told people when something made me angry or upset then it would make them angry or upset so Mm -hmm. I felt like my feelings caused other people to feel bad but out in the world I don't know these people (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I might care for them as I care for another human. Mm -hmm. But if I walked out on the street right now and somebody looked at me and was like, you are unlovable. I'm like, I don't care if you love me. I don't know you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I sort of, it's really hard for me to stick up for myself with people I love and really, really easy with people I have just met. (laughs) Is there any connection between that And Mama, like, is there any connection about sort of not totally knowing where you stand and then reading that book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think when I read that book, it wasn't just that those scenarios were familiar in terms of like things that, you know, I heard or saw in my world. It was also that like, this was a book about a woman's sacrifice a black woman's sacrifice for her family and what that did to her dreams and you know she does get to a point where she gets to have something of her own right that's the thing that I loved about this book but what I noticed in the book was that in order to get what she really wanted or really needed she had to get really honest with the people in her life, her children, her lovers. She had to tell the truth. And at the time, I don't know that I picked up on that in the book, but I know that something about it comforted me. This was a really big, you know, multi-generational, at times tragic and traumatizing story. But in it, I found almost affirmation And I think, like I said, I don't think I knew this at the time, but it was certainly affirmation that there wasn't anything wrong with me because I wanted to tell the truth. And what's the line between realizing that there wasn't anything wrong with you and writing? I think realizing there wasn't anything wrong with me made me feel a certain kind of protection for a long time. I had this fear 
that at some point somebody was going to stand up and say, is anybody going to say that Ashley Ford has lost her mind? Like, is anybody, are we all just going to keep pretending that she's on the up and up? Or are we going to address the elephant in the room? I I really thought that was true. And I think that that kept me from writing for a really long time because I thought that, okay, okay, girl, go ahead and write down what you think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go ahead and write down the stuff that's in your head and see how people react to that. Okay, the they're going to address the elephant if you write this stuff down. And then I had this amazing professor who really helped me work through some of that stuff. And I wrote this essay that was so hard to write. And like, and, and it's not even that good. <laughs> you know, like I look back at it now, I'm like, this is not a good essay. But when I wrote it, it was such an emotional experience and I watched that emotional experience transfer to people who read it. People who knew me and people who didn't. When did you write the essay? That was, I believe, the fall of 2010. And it was connected to that time, though, that you read Mama? No, it wasn't connected to that time that I read Mama. This is the interesting thing, right? Because what Mama really gave me was a sense that the stories that were familiar to me and true stories had a place. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't just have to exist in my head and they didn't just have to exist in the places that I didn't want to (laughs) remember. Like they could exist in the world and somebody might want to read them. Like, I I remember that book saying, like, from the best-selling author or something like that on it. Or maybe it had even been on a bestseller list. But I remember it saying that, and I was like, best-selling? Like, it sold the best? Mm -hmm. Like, as a kid, I was like, I can't believe that a story about a single mom and her children is a best-selling book. My mom is a single mom, and I'm the oldest of four children. Does that mean that my story or the stories I know or the kind of story I would want to tell is worth telling? That's when I started writing sort of in secret. I wasn't allowed to have journals as a kid. But I would, you know, you always have writing assignments for school, And you always have notebooks for school. So you hide some poems in your math book or (laughs) you start writing a story in your history book based off of something that you're reading. And it doesn't matter if it goes anywhere. It's just there and it's yours and you did it. And every once in a while you sneak one under a friend's nose and ask them what they think about it. And your kids, so they think it's fantastic because what the hell, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that answer also could have totally worked for my next question, but uh, I'm going to ask it to you anyway, because now I'm very excited to hear what you're going to say. Is there one book you can think of that changed you in some profound, fundamental, core kind of way? Yes, absolutely. That would be The Giver by Lois Lowry. 
Tell me why. We read The Giver in the seventh grade, and I was at a, I mean, seventh grade, everybody's at a weird little hormonal crossroads, right? (laughs) Yes. But when you are a young black girl at a underfunded school, it is really, really easy to make what feels like very normal preteen and teenage decisions and have them derail the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my precociousness, I guess, by the time I got to middle school, had gone from being coded as annoying to being coded as aggressive. And so I spent a lot of time in trouble, like a lot of time in trouble, (laughs) not for fighting, not for like cheating, not for doing anything actually bad, mostly for disagreeing with my teachers and then refusing to back down. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time in trouble for that. And I had just gotten to a point where I was looking around at my teachers and these people who were supposed to believe in me. And I felt like this is all a scam. (laughs) Like this is all a scam. These people don't want me to win. They don't care that I'm smart. They don't care about me or who I am. They're just people who come and do their jobs. And if anything, I'm just an obstacle to them doing their job. I am not part of the job. And that's why they don't like me and they don't want me around. And so why should I give a shit? Like, why should I give a shit (laughs) about school? Why should I give a shit about any of this? Why should I care about winning in a system that clearly wants me to fail. And I had this seventh grade English teacher, Mrs. McKenna, and Mrs. McKenna had us read The Giver. And I don't know what it was about that book, but at the end of it, I felt like I was standing in front of a very stark choice. And it was like, you can give up. Like, you can basically say this is all a scam anyway, and I don't give a shit. And you know that's true in your gut. And, you know, you can just sort of give up. You can make a different plan for your life. Like, I'm probably, I'm 13 years old. You know what I mean? Like, but this is really how I thought at that time. You can make a plan for your life. You can, like, figure something else out. Or you can just do the best you can in this system. And hold on to yourself and see how far it gets you. And the only reason I really chose to go down that path is because I sat and had a conversation with Mrs. McKenna because I had done like amazing on some tests, but I hadn't turned in any of the homework, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like associated with the project. And she was talking to me and she said, Ashley Ford, I know you're smart. And I was like, okay. And she was like, no, look, like, I know you're smart. 
I know that. I get that. I see that, that you are smart. I see it. You have to decide if you're going to make smart decisions. And I was like, <sighs> because Miss McKenna had been really like the only teacher that year that had like really been pretty kind to me. Not saying I didn't get in trouble, but she was very kind to me. And I don't know, there was something about the fact that I felt like, I felt like saying fuck it was going to lead me into that world of sameness that Jonah was stuck in, in the book. And I didn't want to be the same. That never sounded right for me. I, I didn't think everybody should be the same. I didn't think anything should all be the same. Like I wanted things to be different. And it's like, well, then I'm going to have to steal a baby and <laughs> sled down a hill into a different world, except for the baby part. Um, I've got to do it. Like, I've got to do what I can do to get to the places I want to be. And that was a really pivotal moment for me because that's when I decided to try. It's when I decided to actually try, which was still frustrating, but I made it through. <laughs> it's so interesting because I feel like in a way, those two books totally fit together. Like both of them were about movement and mm -hmm. getting unstuck. Both of those answers basically ended in the same place, which is like, and then I was going. Yes. And then I was like moving forward. Yes. I struggle with stillness. I struggle with stillness because stillness for me feels too much like stuck. Mm -hmm. Do you know that that's a book that parents try and ban all yes. the time, that schools try and ban? Yes, of course I do. All my favorite books they try to ban. Of course parents try to ban this book. This book is about an empowered child. And a lot of parents they don't want their kids to get it into their heads that they might be wrong, <laughs> <laughs> which is wild. I'd rather teach my kids what it looks like to be wrong and make it right. All right. I got one more question for you. I'll let you go. Give it to me. You are currently writing a book. Yes. Has there been a book while you've been working on yours that has been helpful or inspiring or a model or, or just uh there for you in some way? Yes, absolutely. It's a bit of a problematic faith because of some of its portrayals of the culture of indigenous people in these United States. But it's a book called Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech. And for the most part, it's still a, a, a good story about grief which is a fascination for me. Also, it's a really great story about that middle grade age, that like 12, 13 year old <laughs> time in a girl's life, um, dealing with something like grief and being sad. I was a precocious child, but I was also a sad child. Like, I was very sad. And 
it was hard to find books where girls were sad and it wasn't just extremely situational and would be fixed very quickly, you know, like, or like fixing their sadness wasn't a part of like the plot of the book was the fact that you were going to fix their sadness. Nobody was going to fix Salamanca Tree Hiddle's grief about her mother leaving and not coming back. Like nobody was going to be able to heal that for her. And this book is essentially about her getting to a place of acceptance, confidence in a certain sense, but she's still sad, (laughs) you know, like, and she is affected by her sadness. You know, in the book, her mom leaves while pregnant, I believe, and Salmanka develops this fear of pregnant women. And I read that as a kid, and it was the first time that I think I really started to think about where my fear came from and what I was scared of and how that manifested in my life. Yeah, how does your fear manifest with writing this book? My fear in writing this book was that um, I was not going to be able to please everybody I love. In order to write this book, I was essentially going to have to stand up for myself and stand up to all the people I love and tell them that the truth is better than a comforting lie or silence. (laughs) Yeah. There's something about being able to say how you feel and having the people who love you hear you, whether or not they understand you. Salmanka was trying to tell people in so many ways that she was in a really bad emotional state, I think. And only some picked up on it, which was true for me, you know, in my life as a young person. And so working on this book about what is essentially like this story of how I became, (laughs) you know, like how did I get from point A to point B? How did I learn how to be the person I am, essentially. I'm not really one for, you know, there have been many books that I absolutely enjoyed reading, but they didn't push me along. They weren't, you know, none of those books, you know, patted my back and said, okay, another step. But each one of these books did. The life that I have right now is essentially only in existence because I kept seeing a next step that was possible for me. I love myself more than I ever thought was possible. I understand myself more 
than I ever thought was possible. And now I've been standing up for myself more than I ever, ever thought I would. And I had to be able to get there. I had to be able to do all of that to write this book. I kept thinking that like this, but I'm like, man, this book is taking so long. Like what's taking so long? I can write (laughs) and I can write a lot of words, you know? So what is the problem? And the problem was all the things I wasn't ready to say, all the steps I hadn't taken that I still needed to take. And I had to go find more books to help me take those steps. And I had to go back to some old familiars and let them help me too. And Walk Two Moons, I just kept coming back to. And Mama, I downloaded as an audiobook, and The Giver <laughs> I read every year anyway. <laughs> Ashley, I can't wait to read your book. I'm really excited for people to be able to read this book. You know, it's the best I could do right now, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really, really excited for people to see more of me in a really, really true way and in a way that's a lot deeper than, you know, 280 characters. Well, not to get uh, too corny or anything, but uh, sounds like it might be a book that could move somebody else forward. God, I hope so. That's the dream. If it does move one person forward one step, all this effort was worth it. Because that means I finally gave back a portion of what was given to me. Ashley, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. The Books That Changed Us is made in partnership with Longform and MailChimp Presents. The show is produced by Janelle Pfeiffer, art by Joelle Avellino, music by Aaron Lammer. Thank you to Ashley C. Ford for sharing the books that changed her. You can find the whole By the Books lineup, including the collection of essays about connection that Ashley curated at MailChimp.com presents. 